No. It's enough. Even torturing you is boring. This is the small council. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Small Council Radio. So, I'm sure a lot of you joining in are, you know, joining in after seeing the title. Uh, Going to get right to it. I'm super excited for this one, uh, and I want to introduce our very special guest, uh, Fabio Curry. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, Dave. Um, thanks for having me again. Right? Uh, it's been a while since I've been in Small Council Radio, but I'm super excited. Yeah, me too. Uh, I think uh, I think it's been probably over a hundred episodes since we've had you on. Um, and uh, before I forget him off in the corner, I let him out for a little while uh, to have a, a little time to run around the yard. Uh, Brett is also with us. Thank you for uh, coming on. Oh, I had myself muted. Sorry. Hey, uh, <laughs> it's been a while since I did one in the evening, so it's. Uh... A little bit of awkward time, but there's there's no way I was missing this one. Oh my, I'm flattered. Then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't blame you. There's a, a lot to talk about. <clears throat> so, um, for those that don't know, uh, Fabio Curry is uh, the lead uh, is the designer and lead developer. Did I get that correct? Of Ice and Fire. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Awesome. So <clears throat> a lot to talk about. I know there's probably a lot of things that a lot of people want to hear about that uh, we're probably not going to talk about today, but, you know, there's only so many, so much you can get done in one episode. So we wanted to bring up some, uh, some topics that we think, you know, would be uh, a, great, a great start. <clears throat> Sorry, I just uh, had a bunch of dinner, so I'm going to probably be clearing my throat from time to time. Um, <clears throat> so first, with that said, uh, I want to kind of just uh, see how are you doing? Um, how are things going for you? Oh, uh, okay. That's, I guess that caught me off guard, but <laughs> I'm, I'm doing <laughs> fine. I've it, It's been great. I've I really like to say that I got my spirits up at Gen Con. It was really cool meeting everyone in the community, like personally, even both of you, right? We, we, we met each other at Gen Con, so that was really awesome. And, and now I'm back to work, you know, full speed ahead. But it was good. It was refreshing, right, being able to talk to everyone and, and kind of get, like, good vibes from, from everyone that was there. And and that kind of motivated me a lot to to keep pushing forward, right? Not that I needed motivation, not that I was down, right? But now I'm even more up. <laughs> no, yeah, uh, Gen Con kind of has that effect, uh, which you know, for anyone that has never been, I highly recommend Gen Con. Um, even you know, even more than just Ice and Fire, there's just so much to do there. Uh, demos, things you can buy, just you know, tons of games. So, um, 
Yeah, I would even say... on top of that. Oh, sorry. No, you're good. Go ahead. We have a little delay, so anyone who's listening, so that's why we, if I might, if I interrupt, I don't mean to be rude. <laughs> but even we played a few um, demos of other games, right, around Gen Con, like even me and you, Dave, and that was really cool. And something that I didn't know is that they give you free stuff when you play. So that was awesome, right? I I left Gen Con full of like free miniatures. So if you've never been there, I I highly recommend it because. It, it pays off. The ticket pays off just in free miniatures. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of, like, Gen Con exclusive uh, promos at tons of different uh, vendors and um, different places that, uh, you know, do their demos. I know <clears throat> in the past, Simon has given out, like, a lot of uh, Zombicide promos with purchases uh, for those that couldn't get in on the early, like, early, early, uh, you know, Zombicide 1 um, Kickstarter before, you know, everyone really knew about it. Uh, and, you know, you can find similar things at other shops. So definitely definitely check that out next year if you got, if anyone listening was on the fence. But, uh, you know, with that said, uh, I, we can kind of jump into our first topic, the, probably the topic I personally am the most uh, excited about, uh, and that's terrain. So terrain has always, you know, you know, when you first get into Ice and Fire, you're shown the terrain uh, and you just kind of see it as it is what it is. Um, you see the options that you have, what the cart, the come in the starter. You just, you, you see the shapes that they are, whether or not you bought the Stark first, first Lannister and it had kind of the different size pieces or the other pieces that uh, came in all the other starters. Um, but what we want to talk about is the kind of getting out of this habit of using only what comes in the starters. I would say, uh, you know, and to kind of give a broad stroke of what we're going to kind of be talking about is just bringing your own terrain, your own terrain with, uh, you know, larger, smaller, uh, whatever shape you want to make it um, out of uh, out of the current option. So let's say a weirwood tree. That's more of I don't know. It could be <clears throat> it could be a, like a bunch of weirwood trees or something that look like a forest, but still just count as a weirwood tree. Or um, I know a lot of people have a problem with cover. Uh, a lot of people like to complain about that cover doesn't really come into play because of the shape and size of the pieces but as we're going to kind of talk about you can kind of do your own sizes um while i pull up the rule book uh, uh fabio what's uh what are kind of your thoughts on it because i know uh one person in particular asked asked you this question at uh, gen con about uh in particular cover oh yeah and that's something really interesting because we, we do give, like, guidelines to terrain, and obviously um, terrain does come in every starter set, right? But we, we always like to encourage um, creative players, right? And even not just in uh, painting and converting your miniatures, right, but um, in doing um, battlefield scenarios, you know, in terrain. So um, I remember this talk at Gen Con, and I remember that after we started talking about it, um, 
you got super hyped uh, about about doing different terrains and so on. So um, terrains are are suggested, right? We have the terrains there, but if you want to build your own terrain, that's highly recommended, right? And what what kind of makes the the rules match to whatever terrain you make are the keywords, right? So if you do want to have a, a huge forest, right, with more cover, like with, with, with the cover keyword, that, that is totally feasible. I also think about like rivers and, and, and things like that where like a river could be hindering or rough or, or something like that as well. And that could just go like straight across the board or, or something like that. And that really, I, because I believe that miniature players, uh, at least some of them, right, like to create the terrains and like these, like, I, I call them just like huge dioramas, right? It's a four by four table diorama. But, and, and that's, once again, that's really encouraged. That's something that me personally as a designer, I would also like to see more like online from the players because um, I, I like to see creative people <laughs> in general. So, um, and also I remember at the time they asked me, but what about in a tournament? And I remember saying that terrain placement is at the TO's discretion, right? Some, some TOs prefer that players um, place random terrains or they bring their own terrain. And some TOs like to set it up before the match, right? And I guess that's not exclusive to Song of Ice and Fire, right? Setting up terrain before the matches in most other war games, usually the, the TO's job, I'd say. I, I, don't, I don't want to generalize. So if, if a TO does want to do like a battle at Winterfell, you know, and, and they want to have um, different types of walls and, and things like that, that is totally uh, feasible, right? And once again, highly encouraged. So the terrains, once again, the terrain is there kind of, to shake things up, right? So we don't always just play on an open field, uh, no, no pun intended, to Bobby B. But um, so, yeah. But once again, that that means that players need to, when they play, be creative, right? Because the map is never going to be the same because you're placing terrain all the time. And I really like the way that we did the the punchboard terrains in general because just. Um, sh uh, mixing them up, right, or placing them in different parts of the, the battlefield already does make you have to play differently, right? Um, if there is a side of the board that's full of stakes, you're going to think differently. So once again, I, I really do encourage uh, TOs and even, once again, like if you're playing with your friends to kind of shake things up. If, if you play any other war games apart from Song of Ice and Fire, you probably already do have some sort of terrain, right? And um, I also used to think that the hill that that came in the kickstarter the plastic hill was an example so people could see like oh there there can be other terrains that are not the ones that come in the core box but i, I do understand that um players like to stick to the rule book and when the rule book says hey you can think out of the box and you can do your own stuff it it, it sometimes is challenging right Myself as a player in, in other war games or, or board games and, and, or even in RPGs, you know, when I play RPGs with my friends, I, when I'm the player, I want to kind of stick to the rules, whereas the dungeon master is always trying to, in a sense, bend the rules, you know, or, or shake them up so, that, so the game becomes more interesting. So I kind of feel that that's what the, the TO should do or, or even 
once again, if, if you're hosting a game in your house, you can say like, hey, I'm going to shake things up with Terrain's I, I Scratch build. And that's totally acceptable, right, and encouraged. Yeah, I definitely agree. I would, uh, before I get to you, Brett, I kind of want to pick your brain about the tournament side of things because I know you play a lot on TTS and whatnot. But, uh, you know, I was bringing this up to you, uh, Fabio, the other day, is that I find it very strange that, you know, Ice and Fire is like the only tabletop game I can think of that has a very set pieces of terrain that you have to, like, this mindset that you have to use. Whereas, you know, you go, let's say for a lot of uh, a lot of my 40K players out, of, out there, if you went over to someone's house and they just have a wall, like a shelf, filled with terrain, you would just go over there and pluck something off the shelf and toss it on the table, and then you guys would decide or kind of have a general understanding of what that piece did. Um, and I think... Um, you know, it's nice to kind of have these pieces that come out of the starter that are kind of already generated for you, uh, but gets one of those mindsets that we really need to get the community kind of out of their comfort zone and kind of experiment more with creating new pieces. Um, and like you were saying, Fabio, it's definitely up to the TO. So a lot of the people out there that are like, that are really concerned about um, you know, fairness in, like, a tournament, I mean, it, it's simple. You just, uh, T.O. just goes, okay, just what's in the rule book? Um, only those shapes and sizes, uh, only those terrain. But I think it'd be really healthy, you know, for a lot of our casual players, you know, to kind of uh, branch out and really get creative. Um, and, I've made the joke that, you know, you make you make like a weirwood tree that literally is like two by two foot. You plop it right in the middle of the, the table, and now it's like the only piece you can have. Um, obviously, this is something, you know, the train is still something that has to, as far as I'm aware, I'll, I'll read it in a second, has to be agreed upon by the player. Like, you can't just, you know, come up with like something ridiculous but then again uh you could do that in other games too like in 40k could you imagine if someone brought out this in like ginormous cathedral that just took up you know 90 percent of the table so um i think a lot of the concerns that players have are concerns that have already been uh dealt with in every other miniature game for tournaments and have easy solutions. Uh, but Brett, what, uh, what's kind of your thoughts on this and uh, even from like a, a tournament perspective? I, um, so with this one, I think it's, I think it's a little bit tricky um, because I think it's difficult to kind of draw a line. Right. And I think when you go into an event that it's meant to be competitive, like, something like Gen Con, I think you want the, the playing field as level and as even as possible. So I think if, like your example, I, I, I think it's pretty obvious if you make a weirwood tree that's two foot by two, it's, it's going to be rejected. There's no, nobody's going to let you do that. But um, let's say that you run, and we'll just pick on Martells for a moment because they're, they're kind of new and they're they're a little bit of like a glass cannon-y type army. Let's say that you're running Martells and you 
really worry about ranged attacks. You, you worry about archers. And so you've got with you a forest that's, you know, it, it doesn't, and maybe it's not ridiculous, like a two-foot-two forest or a gigantic forest, but it's, it's big enough to definitely fit a full infantry tray in where it can't be seen at all or the, the front of it's big enough that you can reasonably maybe cover the front of two units. Um, I think you would be putting yourself at an advantage, and I think that some people might have an issue with it, and I, I don't think it's completely unreasonable for them to feel that way. Um, I just think with, I think with something like that for, for competitive play, right, I think it's really hard to draw that line. Like, it's really hard to you know, get people on the same page with what would be acceptable and what isn't without, you know, there being some fear of bias. Um, with that said, I definitely encourage, like, at, at your local game stores, uh, you know, game night get-togethers, even a small tournament at a game store that's just geared towards fun. Like, yeah, I mean, terrain the, terrain the table up, you know, make it – you guys have spent a long time painting your miniatures. You really want that full feel. Yeah, like put a big hill, put some forests on the hill, you know, make a a lone weirwood tree that's got like, you know, the the, the <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying to say, but the the weirwood tree itself doesn't have to be the whole terrain piece, right? You can make the weirwood tree piece bigger because of the area around it, like the holy area around it. Um, do something like that. Uh, recreate the Battle of the Bastards and have a huge section of it just marshy and muddy and mucky, you know, things like that are definitely very encouraged. Um, and it's cool. And it makes, you take really nice pictures. I remember when we were doing Akon right before COVID happened, uh, Hurley and I had finished painting our armies and he and I took a long time using a lot of the store's terrain and we created like, basically like scenes with the terrain and with our painted models. We had a bunch of different angles and it was like super cool. And it, it just gave a really nice like miniatures game vibe, like something you would see in a white dwarf magazine. And it, it was super cool. But as far as the competitive side goes, like I don't think TTS is the end all be all for competitive. I don't think Gen Con is the end all be all for competitive. I think every event, where players go and, and they're playing at a high level, that's it's something that should be recognized as a competitive event. And I think it's hard to get everyone on the same page when it comes to something. You, you, you just have to have regulations, I think. And, and I think that's what uh, war gamers who play on the more competitive side want, is they want rules that are clear. They want regulations that are clear. They want FAQs so that they know. You know, people don't want to go into events and, you know, they ask a question and it's like, well, that's TO's discretion, whether it's played as written or played as intended. Like that tends to put uh, gamers off that play competitively because they want to know going in what they're getting into. <laughs> that, that, that could be a whole nother topic on like competitive gamers like myself. Should we lighten up a little bit? Maybe, you know, but I, I, I kind of do feel for that side of the community where it's like, yeah, I don't, you know, I, I don't want to feel like I showed up and either I won or lost because of something like that. 
Like I wouldn't want to feel like I won with an ex- with a with an asterisk, you know. Like yeah, I won, but I had this big old forest that protected me, and maybe at another event I wouldn't have won. And I, I think that's I think that's what it boils down to is the 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 uh, more known community players that that win events don't ever want an asterisk by their by their win. Hmm. Can I can I throw back a, a um, I don't know if it's a question but just a thought. Um, do you think yeah. that that has to do with the idea that um, because in Song of Ice and Fire, I guess the the current gentleman's rule is that you bring your own terrain pieces to the tournament, and so I guess people see their terrain par- as part of their list. So when when you use the example of a giant weirwood tree or even um, the Martells bringing a larger forest than normal. Um, that that kind of sh- um, shows like a player m- making a custom terrain and bringing it to a tournament. And then I do believe that that I agree that that might catch people off guard. But if a tournament says beforehand the tables are set up, even if it's if right. it's with the current terrain, right? And yeah. and he sticks two forests next to each other or something like that, right? Um, so that. Th- Do you think that would be unfair still? Like, I don't know. Like, just from... I, I avoid using other games as, as examples to, to make parallels, right? But um, let's say when, when you play in, in, in other war games, um, you, you like, I'll use Warhammer, right? Because everyone kind of knows it, like, at least a little bit. But when you go to a Warhammer tournament, you never think, like, oh, I'm going to bring... My, my giant cathedral or something like that, right? You kind of know that there's going to be terrain. You, you hope that it's going to be balanced. And, and then you go and, and you, you take your chances, right? And it, it doesn't seem unfair in Warhammer, right? So, or, or does it? I don't know, right? But, but would you that, say that if you, if, you, if you go to a place and there's already, like, like I said, a river, like the TO decided that this has a river. And he says, this is rough and hindering. And, and that's it, right? Because I believe that what keeps the terrain balanced more than their size, because once again, like when we talk about, I think the first thing that comes to mind is let's extrapolate the sizes of things, right? But even like mixing up keywords, can't you have something that is rough and inspiring and, and things like that, right? That's kind of what I feel that, that, that could happen, right? Yep. So here's actually where I, I think I differ a little bit from, You know, I, I, I'm not going to name any names or even be attempting to make a slight at anybody here, but I think this is where I differ from a lot of competitive people having talked to them. I am actually very pro-random terrain, very much on the side of random terrain. This is going to be like a bombshell, but I think that it's the opposite of what it should be. The standard is the opposite. I think that at competitive events, random terrain should be what's normal. Player-picked terrain should be what's abnormal. And the reason I feel that way is, like, I'm not going to toot my horn, but also, like, I, I feel like I'm good at this game. And I feel like I'm good at this game beyond what list I build and put at the table. I think that I'm good at this game because I know and understand this game. I know and understand what my opponent can do. And I know how this game works. And I know how to win. Given that I, I view that, and, you know, I hold myself to that standard – I would hold myself to be accountable to adjust to the terrain, whether it was random or if the, if the TO set the battlefield up. I would, be, I would hold myself to that standard. And I wouldn't, if, if I went to an event 
and you were the TO and you set every table up and what table I landed on was not like predetermined, I would feel like if I won, it was because I adapted. If I lost, you know, it might be because I didn't adapt. But that's, that's, that's kind of like a different element of control when the player's not bringing it. Like, again, back to the Martell example, if I played Dave and he brought a gigantic forest and the TO allowed it, I would feel slighted. If I went to the table that was pre-selected, the TO had no idea I'd be playing at that table. He doesn't know who the hell I am. There's nothing personal about it. That's just the table I drew. Then I have to adjust my strategy to what's in front of me. And I did play Warhammer, and that would happen. I played Warriors of Chaos. I'm sure you know Warriors of Chaos. They're like the foot floggers, and they, like, they have to get into combat. They want to get into combat. They want to grind you down. And I ran into, like, there's a gigantic, you know, a gigantic building in the middle of the table. And it's like, well, I'm not, I'm going to have trouble marching around this. But you adapt, and that's just what it is. Um, and you take that. But, no, I, I complete, I do like preset terrain. I don't think that the setup at the beginning takes a terribly long time. But even if you save 10 or 15 minutes by having every table pre-selected, and you can just, get to your table, set the objective tokens, and go and play, uh, you can give the players a little bit, l- little bit longer to actually play the game and have a little bit more leeway on those rounds. Because what's worse to me is I'm playing a game, and I'm very much in control of the game at the end of round four, but the score is six to seven in favor of my opponent. I know if I can get through this next round, I'm going to take the game, but time ends, and I lose. And, and I, I don't feel like I should have lost because I just needed a tiny little bit more time and I, I would have taken the table. That, to me, is more feels bad than the train. So I, I'm absolutely in favor of TO's presetting train and I'm in favor of using the random terrain chart competitively because I think that you, as a good player, you should be able to build a list that's very well-rounded and you should be able to adjust the circumstances just like a real field commander would. And I guess you should also, like, if you're playing in a tournament, there should be some level of trust in your TO, right? So I, I don't believe that a TO is going to make a, a table and thinking, like, yeah, if Starks drop in here, they're going to lose for sure, right? Because um, a TO is someone that's very passionate, right, for what they're doing, right? Because they're giving up playing to have other people play and have fun. Um, I don't, if, if that makes any sense. So I, I do believe that if, if it's pre-made, the TO is going to put a lot of love into that. Right. And, and I don't know that those are my thoughts on terrain in general. I believe that it's mostly like play around with the keywords, try mixing up keywords that, and, and make terrains that don't exist right now. You know, like, um, Maybe there's something else that is um, horrific instead of a corpse pile, right? Or, or, or something like that. Yep. Could be even just like, a, you know, make like a, um, I don't know, some statue of something really scary. And then it could be like a weirwood in the sense that it's just horrific and no other keyword. Whereas the weirwood tree uh, inspires but doesn't do anything else. Uh, you could have this piece of terrain that literally is doing nothing but worsening your morale. Uh, and it could even be a small piece. It could be like a, this small little circle um, you know, or whatever you want it to be. Uh, again, um, I think 
I think the biggest challenge is that we've been, you know, playing this game for, is it over three years now or something? Maybe, maybe even four, maybe I've lost track. I can't remember. Um, and I think, uh, people have just gotten into this mindset and the way that they were taught the game and the way they've played it ever since that this is the way that the, like the rules are like, I, I bet you at least, if not more, but at least half of everyone listening now are going to be mind blown that this is even an option in the rule book. Um, now, again, this doesn't mean that you can just throw whatever piece on the table and your opponent's going to have to just deal with it. I mean, that's true for any war game. You know, you can't just throw any piece of terrain and be like, yep, deal with it. Um but, I mean, as long as it's within reason, the same reason that you would use for any other tabletop game. Um, for example, uh, I'm going to be uh, maybe next month. It could be the month after, depending on when my uh, terrain comes in from playmat.eu. But uh, it's where I got all the other mat terrain for the pieces that come in the starters. But um, I plan to implement in my monthly tournaments that you can bring whatever piece you want uh, with whatever uh, um, keywords you want. You just have to bring at least two of them. Um, as like, you don't have to bring two as in you have to play both. But what I mean is, let's say you have this really strong piece and you place it down and your opponent's like, well, I like that piece. I want there to be another one. There has to be at least two, if that makes sense. And then there's going to be like, a, like I'm going to have like a, a a diameter that it has to fit within. Like, you know, a, a six by six inch diameter the piece has to fit in or something. I, I don't know. But, uh, you know, just rules for a TO to give their players um, to follow. Because I think, I think one of the things that uh, worries people is how much freedom the rule gives you. Uh, and anyone looking, wanting to look for the, where it says it, it's on page 24 of the main rule book, first paragraph of terrain. Terrain play, terrain plays an important part in every battlefield. Each type of terrain is unique with its own special keywords that define its rules. This rule book details the terrain pieces below, but note that new terrain pieces may be be introduced in other A Song of Ice Fire tabletop miniature game products if a chosen terrain piece does not fall into one of the listed categories you should discuss with your opponent what keywords that terrain has so you know just try to break out of it and start with your casual games uh, start with your local place and just you know get people warmed up to it especially if like you play all the time. I'm sure a lot of you, you'd be surprised how many of your locals would be welcoming to uh, sw uh, switching it up. And with that said, uh, if you're wondering where to find some great terrain, just go on Etsy uh, on, and then just type in 2D Matte Terrain. A nice uh, big lot of different terrain uh, is available. I've already ordered it and others from the same seller has really big uh, forests. And by really big, I mean like, I don't know, uh, not like, you know, it, it's going to be enough to cover like one unit, um, not like one and a half or two, like, you know, 
like Brett was mentioning that some people could abuse and try to pull out there. Um, they have like this broken ground that has like these huge boulders uh, coming out of the ground that could be like rough and hindering, similar to a, a bog or whatever keyword you want to give it. Um, like a destroyed abandoned house with like a brick wall around it. Um, uh, a, a pond, like a shallow pond, um, a wheat field, uh, a hill. Um, they even have like river connections, like little, like a, like a bunch of sections of river with all different shapes that you can kind of, you could zigzag across your field. And it's all 2D matte terrain. It's amazing, uh, amazing quality, amazing products. So definitely go check those out if you are interested and you want some actual physical stuff. Or even just, you know, cut out some cardboard and then build the terrain right on there or draw it or paint it, whatever, you know, your creative uh, instincts uh lead you to. So uh, before we move on, though, uh, is there anything else either of you wanted to add to it? Uh, yeah, I, I actually there is. I, I didn't expect that we would talk 30 minutes uh, just terrain, but um, I do have more to add. The, there's an expression in, in Brazil, which is combinado non sai caro, which is basically whatever is agreed upon is not expensive, if that makes any sense, right? I hope it does. Which is like when when I play Infinity or or Bolt Action or even Warhammer, when, before you start the game, usually both players look at the table and they say, okay, this do, does this give cover? And then they both say, yeah, yeah, this gives cover. Uh, does this give cover? No, no, this is too small. It's just cosmetic, right? And and things like that. So as long as both players know what they're going into, I don't I don't see a big problem, right? So that that's what I believe, and and. If a player wants to make, the, once again, like the giant cathedral, forest, or just giant things, then obviously um, their opponent might say, like, no, I, I don't agree to this, right? And, and wargaming is a lot of, of um, gent gentlemanship, I don't know, like courtesy, right? There, there's a lot of, you're both there to have fun right, regardless of it being in a tournament or in your kitchen table. So it's really agreeing upon the things before the match starts, right? And, and once that's done, then, then both players have the, the entirety of the information and they both can have fun, right? And I'd even suggest, for example, we were talking about making huge werewood trees. I think, like, if you make, like, a small, like, you said a statue of something horrific. I thought like a statue of Baylor the Blessed, you know, and it's inspiring, but it's only the size of a miniature. So you're actually shrinking the range of the inspiring. That that might be interesting, right? That just that already shakes things up a lot. Agreed. I think uh, people, you know, I feel like people will be very surprised with the creativeness. Um, you know, even if it's custom to your army, find something in the lore of, you know, Martells and then make a custom weirwood tree out of it. Um, you know, and again, like, obviously when you see it, you'll know, okay, that's reasonable. Or uh, you realize you made the weirwood tree three, four, five times its size and be like, I don't know about that. But then again, think of, you know, if we're talking legal terrain, that's 2D and 3D. And the the weirwood tree that comes in the 3D terrain is 
is literally like three or four times the size of a weirwood tree. And so uh, I think, uh, I don't know, I'll leave it with, you know, uh, definitely just have try a it shot, out. right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, just kind of jump out of uh, the taboo or the, 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 this little, you know, funk, I guess. I don't know what you'd call it. Just this, you know, habit we have of only using the starter box terrain. And again, just start with casual. Uh, once you kind of get your group acclimated to, uh, to it casually, move it into your local uh, tournaments, um, you know, just like your small local tournaments, and then give it guidelines, though, kind of like I had mentioned I was going to do. Don't just leave it free reign. Uh, and then, I don't know, I, I think personally you could almost even stop there, like big-time tournaments. I don't, I don't know, again, up to the TO and how they feel they want to run it. All right, so on to the next uh, uh, second topic of the of the show. Uh, this one should be a little quicker. Uh, Gen Con. So I know we kind of already talked about um, how how your Gen Con was, and um, but in particular with uh, Ice and Fire. Uh, so you know it's it's no new news anymore. But Starks took first place. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on on that. I know we've kind of had uh, Luke on here. He, Luke's been on uh, a, a couple other shows, and, you know, he's kind of talked through it. But from a uh, designer-developer aspect of things, to see a, a faction that is considered, you know, on the lower tier of things come out on first, uh, what, are your, what are your personal thoughts? So I, I found that very interesting. Whenever I I, I see tiers of factions, I usually already, it kind of gets me nervous, because <laughs> in, in my mind, I believe they're all equally kind of playable. You just need to kind of fit them to your play style, right? Factions are not, they are asymmetric by their nature, but that does not mean that one is better than the other, um, necessarily. And when I saw the, uh, the list at Gen Con, and I saw that there was a lot of overlap between lists, like there were a lot of Free Folk and a lot of Baratheons, and, and the lists were, I wouldn't say the same, but similar, that, that um, gets me as a game designer, it gets me a little concerned if, if something, like if, if we did something really wrong, right? If, if we dropped the ball. And, and having the Starks win, right, it's, Obviously, there's a lot of merit for Luke, right? I, I don't, I don't want to remove his merit at all, right? He, he was a great player, and, and it was actually beautiful watching him play, right? It's inspiring when you watch good players. Um, but it also shows, right, if you should make your list to your play style and, and not to what, um, I'm, I'm just going to vaguely say the Internet is saying, right? Where, where usually if, if you try to copy someone else's list um, because they play well with that list, that doesn't mean necessarily that you will, right? Sometimes it's better for you to kind of find your own thing, right? And just the same way as like picking your terrain and, and picking your army, that's a big part of the game, right? So when I saw a lot of people doing the same list, I was like, huh, did they discuss amongst each other bef beforehand, right? Like, where where do people reach these conclusions, right? And and that's what's really interesting about tournaments, right? Um, there there was a player that 
that we were talking, and I, I don't know if he wants to be named or not, so I won't. <laughs> but he was saying, right, I, I always try to look at what is considered bottom tier and play with that specifically, right? And he usually scores really well in tournaments. So, um, so yeah, right, that, that just comes to show that it's generally – Oof, I'm going to be harsh. <laughs> I'm going to be harsh, and I hope um, um, people take this lightly. <laughs> but it's usually not your list. It's you, right? So so list building does make a difference. You're not going to just feel, you know, like no NCUs and eight Sworn Swords because that, that's not going to give you all the tools you need to win. But you, you, you should try to find, like, what tools suit you best as a player, Right. And that's what Luke did with, with the Starks. And that was really, really interesting to see. So th- that was my take for the, from the Gen Con tournament, right? It's that um, there might be more popular lists because they look better in, in theory crafting. And, and, and you can kind of like show through theory crafting that this might be better. But once you're on the table, on the battlefield playing, that, that, the theory craft just all just blows in the wind, right? And and everything that you, that you prep for um, might help you a little bit, but mostly it's it's you as a player and how you deal with the adversity of your opponent's list and, and how 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 you play, right? I don't believe Luke. Um, I I don't know. I don't want to put words in his mouth. In his mouth, sorry, no mice here, but. Um, but I believe that he made a list that he felt comfortable with and not a list to um, destroy what he thought would appear in the tournament with more frequency. Yeah, I think you, I think you kind of made a point that, that's definitely worth considering. And I, I know that you're not coming from a place like – I know you, so I know that you're not telling people like, "Well, get good," and you know that's just. Oh not no, yeah, sorry, that's but not you, what I meant at all. Yeah. <laughs> no, I definitely know, and I think the people listening know you're you're a really good guy, Fabio. It's it's fine, but um, I think I think you do bring up a good point though, and that it, there there's a couple of things that you can branch off from that. We'll call it net listing. Everybody knows what net net listing is. Just because to a tournament and wins does not mean that Y and Z player can take that exact same list in those exact same scenarios against that exact same opponent and win. And, but, and it's not the dice. Like it's, it's not the dice that are the difference there. It's the player. And I think that's kind of a trapping. Like there's, there's trappings of the meta, right? You can trap yourself in a meta state of mind. You can say, okay, I'm going to this tournament, and I know because I think that Night's Watch is broken. I am expecting to deal with this Night's Watch build that I think is broken, that I think is toxic, that the Internet thinks is broken. And so I'm going to build my list specifically to counter that list. And in doing so, you can take away from your style of play. You can take away from the key pieces that you do. And I say this criticizing myself as well because I went into an online tournament, and I expected to see free folk. So I made a list that was, kind of it had some specific tech to deal with free folk right it was uh, a list that was built specifically to be able to play free folk 
did not play one single free throw player, and it trapped me because my list two was a list that was built as like a, a grinder list, like it's a bruiser list. Um, and then I didn't have like my normal flexible mobility list that can that can deal with a little bit of both, can deal with some armor, and it has the mobility to make things happen. I went away from that list to specifically try to get an edge on free folk. I never played free folk. I think the list would have worked against free folk, but I can tell you it didn't work against Targaryens, and it didn't work in the mirror match, and it didn't work, um, I think it was just, yeah, mirror matches and Targaryens. And I lost <laughs> a lot of games in that tournament, and it was not good. And that was me with my own tripping, right, my own, my own trapping of the meta. I expected something. It wasn't there. I went against what I'm comfortable playing, what I know, and went with a list that I wasn't, yeah, I hadn't practiced. I wasn't super good at piloting. And overall, it just wasn't a well-rounded list. It was specifically tailored to beat one thing that I never even ran into. And that's a thing that can happen. But besides just that, you can trap yourself by believing, okay, and I'm just going to use two factions just to pick on them because they're kind of in the spotlight now. You can trap yourself by thinking, I can't beat Night's Watch and I can't beat Free Folk unless I play Night's Watch or Free Folk, and then they 50-50 against each other. So my best bet is to play Free Folk or Night's Watch. And, and you can kind of pin yourself in and, and shoehorn yourself into playing a faction that's maybe not even your style. Free Folk and Night's Watch aren't for every player. They require a different set of skills. Lannisters aren't for every player. Um, you know, there's specific things designed into those factions that make those factions work, and it's not necessarily that, you know, I'm good with Night's Watch, so I'll be good with Lannisters because Lannisters are good. It's a whole different mentality. It's a whole different way of playing because it's such a different style. So I guess all of this is to say you should go with your gut and play what you know is good. And I know the player that you're talking about, and I, I know that he won't mind. He and I are relatively close. It's, it's Mark Rupp. Mark Rupp is, in my opinion – maybe the best Song of Ice and Fire player that I've ever played because he understands the game at such a, like, brutally intelligent level that he just, he can win. And he plays with the absolute worst stuff. Like, and I don't mean to say that, like, you designed this poorly, but he plays with stuff that just in the meta and in the missions and the way that the game state is, he plays with things that you, like, you would look at his list normally and you would think, I'm going to absolutely just walk all over this list. And then he either beats you or he plays you to a very close game. And that's exactly what happened at Gen Con. He took who are considered the two worst commanders in the worst faction, and he made it to the top eight. So, Or he was in top 16. And I watched his game. He was like one – he had a, a unit down to one wound, and all he needed to do was kill that unit. And he crowns after them with a panic token and – I mean, it's dicey, but it, they, the odds were more in his favor that that unit would fail and die. And it, it was that close. And he's playing this, you know, not the most optimal list and the most optimal faction. So it's it's something that you can do. But I, I think you should always be true to yourself. And I think that's what Luke did. Luke plays Starks. Starks yesterday. He plays Starks today. He's going to play Starks tomorrow because he likes Starks. And so he played Starks, and he did the legwork. He was... <clears throat> He was in playing with his locals, 
playing with his friends, playing the his friends played the armies that he was afraid of playing. He took his losses, adjusted the list, and yeah, that's why Luke won. Luke didn't win because Luke played a broken army. Luke didn't win because he played what the internet said is the best list. Luke won because he spent time practicing and getting better at the game. And he played a faction that he loved. And he smiled the whole time. God love him. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'd like to say, like, it's not get good. So just to make sure that that's the point. I, I, like, I never, I never want to say that. Um, it's get comfortable, right? Like, you do you. And you'll probably play better for it, right? And I also think that, like, me... I, I usually, when I play war games, I don't have all the factions, right? I guess, like, now with TTS, it's easier for people, like, to move around and try other factions. But in most war games, I, I have one army, right? Sometimes I have a second smaller one to kind of, like, teach people how to play. But that's it. I, that's as far as I go. Um, because, like, it's pretty expensive. And you can collect the same army basically forever, right? Because you can buy multiples of stuffs in most games, so me, when, when I'm trying to think as a designer or as a developer, I, in my mind, most players have one or two armies, right? And so it, it's different than, for example, let's say like in, in Hearthstone, where people can quickly switch between, between um, archetypes and, and armies and, and, and so on, because it's all digital. I, I believe that there's... They, like, I, I don't want to speak in behalf of Blizzard because I don't know what they do or how they think, right? But it's easier to, for them to have a more unbalanced state because then people can migrate to whatever is more powerful. Um, I, I know it's impossible to keep everything perfectly, exactly balanced, but I always try to think, like, I, I don't want to rip anyone off, you know, like rip any players off and, and say, like, okay, now you're whatever you do is like your faction now sucks, right? We, we always try to keep all factions playable. And of course, some things are going to be better than others and synergize better, but that's, that's inevitable, right? And that's part of the fun, trying to figure out um, the, these little um, synergies and combos, right? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one of our best episodes is uh, the trappings of meta mentality. And if you haven't listened to that one, definitely go back and check that one out. I think it's, uh, it's definitely something that people can kind of, even similar to like the terrain situation, you know, you get into this habit of thinking what everyone else is thinking that a certain unit is good or bad. Um, I would say, always try to develop your own opinion on everything. You know, you can kind of get general ideas from the community of what is generally accepted as, you know, good, bad, needs improvement, or this or that. But that's why whenever we kind of do reviews on new stuff, we always highly recommend to try all of it out, um, no matter what your first impressions of something is. Uh, because, you know, things on paper are never as simple as they look. Um, you know, they're, they're usually much different. And I think, um, you know, the meta can often uh, solidify 
the people's opinion of of something in the game before it's ever gotten a true a true shot. Uh, one example I like to bring up is I've always done very you know back in 1.6 and earlier I always did crazy good with Blackfish Commander, and for the longest time Blackfish Commander was considered like bottom it's like bottom five commanders in the whole game on stats and. I thought that was bonkers to my, you know, me personally. I was like, there's no way. I was like, there's no commander I would choose over uh, Blackfish, and if we're just, even if we're just talking Starks, let alone my own playstyle. And you know, shortly after that, you know, he rose through the rankings, and he, I forget how far he got, but he, you know, he, you know, miles away from the fir- from the worst on the list. And I think that just goes to show that sometimes people don't give uh, certain things a good enough chance. You really have to, like you were saying, Fabio, um, it's not it's not about getting good. It's about adapting something to your play style and figuring out where it fits within your play style to make it, um, to make it, uh, you know, to kind of see its strengths. Um, you know, it's, you know, you're not going, not every unit and everything in the game you're going to be able to just put on the table, and then it's immediately just going to uh, show its strengths to you. Sometimes it's going to take three, four, five, ten games to truly figure out this unit's, uh, you know, full potential. Yeah, for sure. And so that's kind of the take that I got from, from Gen Con, right? So it, it, I found it really interesting. It was a learning experience, right? It was also really interesting to watch such a large tournament live, right? I, I wasn't able to stay there the whole time, but every time I got a chance, I would flip by and see how the, how the games were going and also kind of general mood. And everyone was really, really polite amongst each other and, and, and things like that, which I also believe, like, once again, you play to have fun, right? If, like, the, the prizes are not high enough that we're, we're bringing in people who don't have fun, they're just there to win prizes, right? I, I don't think that's ever the case in the Song of Ice and Fire. So, so yeah, like... Try seeing what, what fits your playstyle best is, is the best advice I can give, and that was the takeaway that I got from Gen Con, and 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 I'm gonna stick to it now, right? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, you know, and this isn't the first time something like this has happened. That uh, a faction that wasn't um, in the in the top spots, you know, ended up taking. Uh, taking uh, first place. You know, this isn't some anomaly uh, of a situation. So I hope the more of these that we have, the more people kind of come to understand that, you know, it stats is a nice tool. You know, that's kind of what we said in the one episode is stats is, is a great tool, but uh, each individual person is just that you're your own individual person. Um, the stats show you, let's just say the stats based on like numbers and just algorithms and stuff, which, you know, 
let's just say it's the end-all, be-all, and it's true, and all those stats are exactly how it's supposed to be, you have to also then think those are curated based on the personalities of everyone in the community. But when you're worrying about what is best for you to play, the overall personalities of everyone in the community doesn't necessarily do you any good. Um, you know, so you still kind of have to find your own way. You still kind of have to develop your own play style if you don't already know what it is, or you might have to develop your own play style within a faction, especially if that faction doesn't lean towards your play style, like, naturally. Like, let's say, you know, let's say your play style is, uh, is being fast, but you really want to play Baratheons. Well, you can kind of do that. It's just going to be a bit more challenging. Um, so that's kind of where I guess I'll leave it off is that, you know, no matter what the stats say, that's, that's, inf that information is based on the community as a whole and not as, you know, it, you are going to find a lot less uh, information than you might uh, by looking at it on an individual level. So one of our topics was to t kind of talk about meta, so we did uh, kind of cover that in with Gen Con. Um, before we move off of Gen Con, was there anything else, uh, you know, even from you, Brett, that was notable that uh, you kind of want to mention uh, about Gen Con? Sorry, I was switching audio. Did you ask Fabio? Or... Uh, kind of both of you, but I just, before we moved off of the topic, I wanted to kind of make sure I didn't, uh, in case there was anything either of you wanted to add to it. No, I, I think we can move on. Okay, cool. Um, so the next topic that we're going to talk about is I know we just did an episode on the Martells. Uh, we're going to kind of give our second thoughts uh, kind of after some games have been played. The community has had time to chatter with each other on strategies and way, the way things kind of work with each other, some combos. Um, uh, I'll start with you, Brett, because I think you have a bit more um, uh, play, you know, like play testing with the new stuff coming out on TTS uh, than I have. I haven't had a chance to really play much at all of it. Oh, I, I have been playing the Martells and loving the Martells um, so much so that I, I actually went out of my way to send Fabio a message and let him know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'll say it again. It's kind of a cheesy statement, but, like, yeah, the out-of-the-box Martells, like, the way that they hit the meta, the way that they hit the the game at this time, like, they just belong in a museum. They are so well-designed. They're so fun. They're so cool. Um, it's honestly, like, the word that I can use for playing them is it's so thrilling. Um, that's a really cool word. I like that word. <laughs> I think it's a good description for playing Martell's because I you're <laughs> I feel like you're on a knife's edge for a good part of the game. Um you're putting together this army that's relatively low defense low defense. It's misleadingly speedy 
But then the way that that tactic deck works with those units, the traps that you can set, the things that your opponent thinks that they're going to do that they're not <laughs> because because of the way that faction is designed, it is so right up my alley that, like, there's just absolutely no question. And, and I wasn't entirely sure if I would buy into them. There's no question that I'm buying Martels. They are so, so my style of play. Uh, the trickery, the deceit, the things that you can do with them. Um, you know, I primarily play Night's Watch. They are so straightforward. Night's, Night's Watch is attack, attack, retreat, attack, attack, heal a little bit, attack, 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 and then you attack again. And the Martels don't have to do that. And it, it reminds me so much of playing um, start of the game Lannister, start of the game Tyrion with, with the way that they play. I just have to buy them. I love them so much, and I haven't even cracked the surface. Um, I entered a tournament. I'm playing I'm playing Obera, who... Um, uh, Fabio, you know, I, w- I won't name drop, but you know... Uh, a friend of uh, a friend that has uh, led me to Obra. So I'm playing Obra. I'm absolutely loving her, and it is yeah, it's so much fun. I it's I always have fun when I play the game, but playing Martels right now, like I've never been so eager just to take any free time that I have and just challenge anybody with Martels. I'm having so much fun playing them. I love them so much. Oh, that's. I- it's funny getting that feedback. There, there are a couple things there that that I want to comment on. Um, one is that right now, like I'm, I'm always curious because when we release new faction, I'm, I'm always curious to see if it's just the uh, the new toy syndrome, you know, or if it's gonna stick. So that's why um, I, I really wanted to um, do this, like talk about second impressions, because I know you guys already did a very extensive first impression on Martels. And also that you said, like, the way they joined to shake up the the meta, and I find that very funny because when we're building a new faction, we don't think of, like, how is the meta and how are we going to shake things up in the meta? Let's make the faction to do that, right? Um, Quite the contrary. We think of what is this faction's identity and how do we make rules that make this identity kind of um, transpose right into game mechanics. So um, the fact that they, they shook the meta, as you say, which I'm not sure yet, right? To me, it's still very soon. Um, it is very interesting. And, and well, they're, they're supposed to be deceiving, right? It, it's, like, I really like that quote from Doran Martell about the grass and the snake, right? And and that's kind of, like, the quote that stuck in my mind whenever doing them. It's they're, they're supposed to trick you into going into the place they want, and then, boom, striking, right? So it, it's interesting. I, I didn't expect um, the, the this feedback of them being meta shakers, right? And at the same time, I do understand that they have a higher learning curve, right, than, than some other factions. So that was something that when we released, I was concerned and I was a little bit worried. Like, are are people going to, uh, by just reading the cards, understand what how they're going to play and what they're supposed to do? And also, 
like how how much of a of a hindrance are they to their opponents as well, right? Because maybe if it's just all fun and games playing Martellus, but your opponent doesn't have fun, then that's also a problem. But so far from what I've seen is um, is that people are are enjoying playing against them as well because it does bring this new this new challenge of like. Huh, I, I kind of know that he wants to trick me, so I don't want to fall into into their trap, and and then it just goes into like the, the, these mind games, which was something that we were hoping for Martel. So um, I'm I I I think we we hit the mark as well, um, but once again, I I really want to see how how this evolves and and with how time is going to shape up this faction uh, in in the sense of like player perception and, and really if, if people bought into the idea of how they work. Yeah, I think, yeah, so. I think, sorry, I was, I'll, I was just going to say like, it's just a tiny tidbit and then pass to you, Dave. I think, uh, I think to some extent, some of it is a little bit of growing pains, right? And I do think that there's room for the faction to grow in that sense. Like, I think right now Doran's NCU is relatively popular. I I don't actually play him uh, because I know how to counter him. And so if I know how to counter him, then I think other people know how to counter him. So for me, I think he's an awesome piece. I think he's interesting. I think he's really cool. Um, I'll be interested to see if that kind of levels out. And then he might he might be one of those things that's really popular right now. Uh, a way to counter him gets out. He might disappear for a little bit. And then as things kind of slow down and people aren't expecting him anymore, then he comes back in full force and he just catches you by surprise, which that's a thing. We, we've seen that a number of times where something is really good and then it recesses a little bit and then it comes back full circle. Uh, we saw that with actually Lannister supremacy this since 2021 it was really scary at first and then it wasn't a thing and now it's a thing again um so with that being said i think there are some elements of martels that could have that uh tyen is it's new and interesting some people are falling for traps some people are starting to learn how to play around it so uh tyen could go from being this almost feels like you have to include her to hey we're not really playing tyen that much and then tyen comes back uh, but I think I've looked at all of the pieces, and when I'm building a list, it's difficult to pick what pieces to include because I can see myself making all of them work. So I think I think you've done really well with that. I think Sorry. that they might plateau a little bit, but then I think they'll surge again. When you say Doran NCU, which which Doran NCU are you referring to? Uh, uh, the the prince of the prince, the one that brings the water garden. I think I think there's going to be uh, some growing pains with adjusting how to play with and around the water garden. Interesting. So uh, one of our topics we're going to go over is kind of like theory crafting questions, but I'm going to go slightly out of order because this kind of question um, deals with Martell's, but uh, what's kind of your, what was your kind of your process in, in the idea behind um, uh, the Doran uh, NCU with the different, you know, with the way he works? 
Okay. I guess once again, when especially in these, in I wouldn't say especially, but in general, when we're trying to design it, we really want to hit the flavor right, right? And um, adding new tactic zones to to the game is something difficult because that tactic zone needs to be special. You know, it needs to be unique and useful. And at the same time, like basically, it can't overlap the other tactic zones, right? Otherwise, you're, there's no point in adding it. And also, we kind of need to think, like, do we need this? But I believe that the Water Garden was something that fit so well. It, it, it fit like a glove. And, and then when you think of Doran, right, he's always just waiting, right? In the end, in, in my mind, in the books, I think that was his downfall at the same time. But what I, what I find really interesting about Doran and, and the Sunspear Secrets ability is that, you know, your, your opponent can sort of see it coming, right? He can clearly see how many order tokens there are, but will he get out of his way to, to stop you from claiming these zones, right? Not, not necessarily. I don't know. And also when we chose the zones for each round, we, we, we chose zones that might not miss, like for round one, claiming money or swords is generally not the best <laughs> zones for you to claim. But at the same time, that means that if you, if Doran just waits a little bit and he activates later, he's, he's going to claim one of these right at round one. So it, 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 there's a lot of push and pull, right? And that's what I think the Martells are about. And so Doran brings the push and pull that Martells like to have. And at the same time, he's, he's bringing his own flavor to the game where it's, if this game does stall out or, or drag out, he, uh, two victory points is a lot, right? <laughs> it, it really helps. So a real quick question from, we've got a little bit of a live chat going as people are listening. Um, some of our viewers are wanting to know if you guys specifically, deliberately, unintentionally, or just didn't really consider it, did you guys think of Peter Baelish as a relatively good counter to Doran? And like a follow-up on the topic of Peter Baelish, did you consider uh, how Peter Baelish would, would work well with Cayenne in the poison zone with being with putting pressure on that opponent to tap the, the poison zone to, to prevent Peter Baelish from allowing that zone to be claimed twice. Okay, so Peter Baelish is there. He exists. We, I know he exists. You know, when we're making things and testing things out, we obviously are going to cross-check to see if, if it's going to break anything or, or the likes. Um, Peter Baelish is overall a good NCU, right? Um, not only by by seeing like we see how many players pick them in general and and things like that, but I don't think it's I don't think it's that I don't think it's a problem or or anything like that. I think it's an interesting interaction, right? I don't think you would always want to have Baelish. I don't think your opponent is necessarily always going to try to pick Baelish because he might be worried 
that you have Tien or, or Doran, I, he's there, right? It, it's cool. It's, it's another interaction, right? There, there are a lot of other things that, that might happen, right? So, like, Varys is also interesting when, when, when we think of, like, how Tien works. Not, not necessarily Doran, but how Tien works as well. And, and yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's sort of what I have to say. Like, we, Baelish is there, and I, I would like to try to see people trying to exploit that, right? Because, once again, the, the community has way more resources in, in manpower to test things that, than we do throughout the year when, when things are being made. So if, if it does become problematic, we can always kind of try to fix it. But once again, I, right now, I just see these as interesting interactions more than anything. Right? We, we can't really um, strike the hammer down on any conclusions yet, right? Yeah, I think I tend to agree. I, I, think, it's, I think it's a good answer. So where are you guys watching these, these comments? Just so I, on the general for um, small council. Yeah, I, yep, I general. Uh, I yeah, see. phone notifications are weird because I'm not being tagged, but it's almost like your phone always knows where 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 you're supposed <laughs> to be. So I just saw it pop up. I have so many Discord channels open, and it always seems like my phone just knows the ones that I want to look at. So <laughs> I just happen to see it pop up, to be honest. Yeah, it's on the general uh, tab for small council radio. Um, so, yeah, so, shout out to Davos of Katarina for the good question. Yeah, I think uh, personally, uh, you know, regardless of anything, I think the interaction with Peter is uh, is really cool with, with Doran and uh, Tain and how they kind of operate. I've always said since you know since basically forever that Peter is an amazing uh NCU even without his when in 2021 20, came out when he got the extra ability even before that he just he provides so much to a list and rarely do uh just naturally you can build him to be really strong for yourself you know like doubling up on his own but uh you know, it's I see it as just icing on the cake when he can counter interactions your opponent brings. Because initially, I I always bring Peter more as a proactive piece than a reactive or a, a counter piece. Um, like if I have a Bowman unit or any sort of long-ranged unit, I always love the interaction of taking whatever zone I need to block and then doubling up on the attack if my opponent can't uh, capitalize on that. Um, so I think, you know, this just, uh, with Martell's being the new, the new thing, I think it's just raised the stock, uh, stock prices of, of Peter. And I think that's a good thing. Um, so other kind of second thoughts on the faction, um, Brett, do you have anything? Uh, no, no, I, I think I said, I think I said what I needed to say, um, they get just that they're super fun. I, I do think I do think that they're going to plateau. I do think they'll plateau just like just like the Greyjoys did, and then 
I think as the people kind of learn how to counter them, then, you know, you'll see people that have put in the work and understanding the faction have success. Um, I certainly don't think after the larger community becomes aware that they're like a just buy them, throw them on the table and, and instantly get win type of faction. I think they're, I think they're super well designed with really cool mechanics that are going to reward the players to invest the time in learning how to best use their tactics. So, so I would we do have really like to listen to a, a, a round three of, of impressions on, on Martel's whenever, like in the future, like maybe a couple of months from now. And um, if that ever does happen, please let me know, because I would love to hop in that conversation, right? Because I, I want to see how this faction matures, let's say. Definitely. Yeah, we could definitely have you on for that one. We actually plan to bring, or not bring, but we plan to do a recap of every faction as an episode in the future, because we did such big, like, detailed uh episodes uh, when 2021 first came out and it's been so long now that I think uh, as long as no breaking news comes out with new units and stuff we'll we'll probably start diving into that but uh, as kind of a side question we have in the chat um, Jesse L asks if Fabio if you play the game for fun or if it as like a hobby or does it remind you too much of work <laughs> oh, okay um... <laughs> It's been a while since I haven't played for fun. Usually the most fun I have is when I'm demoing the game for someone who doesn't even know that I, I work with Song of Ice and Fire. I guess that's the most fun I have because then you can see like a fresh player and you can kind of like relive the fun through their own eyes like as if, you, as if it was your first time. I guess that's when I have the most fun, right? Um, usually... I'd say I, I try to play. Ugh, this is I'm, okay. This is not the question <laughs> that you asked, but this is the answer that I'll give. Is that um, now I've been working with game design for five years, design and development as a whole, and um, every game now um, loses a little bit of fun because now what, whatever game I play. I'm always with my, my dev brain and I'm like, hmm, I could use this idea or like, hmm, he could have done this better he, whatever designer it is or that made the game that I'm playing, right, could have done this better by, by, by changing this or that. So it's kind of hard to separate work from play as, just as a whole, right, even in board games or, or even video games, you know, like I, I really like Into the Breach, which is like a, an, I don't know if you can say it's an indie game, but it's close to. And and whenever I play Into the Breach, I'm like, hmm, this seems unbalanced, or hmm, I think they didn't expect this interaction, which which is, I guess it's inevitable, right? But it but it but it is fun. I I do try to, I I do have fun. I do have fun, and I do still um, have fun with Song of Ice and Fire even at work, right? I guess if I if I was just making it without any fun, then then I don't know if I would want to keep my job. You know, I, I still think that um, I have a lot of fun designing new units and I have a lot of fun. Um, um, nowadays, I have more fun watching people play than playing myself, but I, I do still enjoy myself most times. 
Yeah, I think it kind of just comes with the territory. Like, uh, you know, I, you know, I think you could kind of almost say that for anyone's line of work. You know, most people go into something they love, but you know, when you have to do it for work, you know, it it takes a little bit, uh, a little bit of something out of, out of it. You know, you know, I love helping people, and you know, I work for a private ambulance, but working eighty hours a week, uh, you know, at, you know, it's like. All right, can I just go home? <laughs> uh, so it's definitely understandable. I know it's it, people have probably this different mindset because your job is correlated with most people's, you know, hobby, something that they detach. That most people would detach from work. So I think it kind of brings on this different element to it. Um, but it's it's good to hear that you're you still, you know getting those games in and having fun. Um, and for anyone listening, you know, uh, I won't mention specifics, but I thought it was awesome. Uh, you know, I got to spend the day with Fabio at Gen Con and just going around the vendor hall, seeing you see all these games and then see certain uh, either interactions or mechanics or just anything, and then you'd write down notes uh, I thought that was awesome. You know, I think it just shows how much you care about the game and, you know, taking all these different ideas. Like, you're not beholden to some, like, oh, well, you know, because I didn't think of that, that's stupid. You know, you have this, like, this acceptance or this uh, openness to other things, which I think is, is very uh, encouraging. Usually other people are smarter than me, so if I had the idea, then it's not that great. I, I, I prefer getting other people's ideas and um, mixing them up with my stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, rare. I think rarely at this point do is there many original ideas, like 100% original ideas. I think you can have mostly original ideas, but uh, there's so many games out there now with so many different, like, interactions and stuff that, you know, you're bound to copy some percentage of someone else's idea, which I think is fine. That's the way we make things better or adapt things to fit our uh, certain uh, situation. Um, oh yeah, I don't, I don't see any harm in that. I don't like to, to, to my point. I don't even like think that um, getting an idea of how someone does initiative in a game or, or whatever, which was one of the notes that I took down <laughs> that you were saying. Um, I don't really believe that that is like copying or plagiarism because the idea itself doesn't mean anything. It's the execution, right? So um, I, ideas are cheap. Right, it's execution that matters, and like when you sit down in your chair and you're like, "How do I incorporate this into my game?" Because it's never going to be the same, right? Yeah, it, it, obviously, if it was, then you know, you'd basically just have the same game. Uh, things are just going to interact differently. You can't take some great idea from another game and think just because it's a great idea here that it's just going to be this, you know and all be all for fixing something. Um, and that, I guess, can kind of lead me into the next uh, part of the show is kind of some theory craft uh, questions. Anyone in the chat, if you have any specific questions of a theory, um, you know, 
throw those in there and we'll see what we can ask and like what like would be like by what we can ask is you know depending on time but I'll start off uh, the first one here uh, kind of one that you briefly touched on and uh, I know you already partially answered it but I was curious um, you know the kind of to tie it also in with the meta like a meta mentality is that um, more activations means better just simply better no matter almost no matter what it is uh, you know just having more is better have you thought of like a buff of any kind uh, for those for a list that encourages less activations um, I was thinking you know I'll just throw I had a couple ideas I threw at you the other day but I'll just throw one out there and that's like a um, for every at the start of the game, for every, uh, let's say you have eight activations, I have six, you would get, uh, you would call, I don't know, you call them like plot points or, uh, or plot rolls where you get um, one re-roll for every activation uh, less, so you'd get two in this case, um, and it's a once per game use on any one singular die in the whole game. Uh, and that could even be for... Um, uh, like the beginning of the game stuff, like rolling to see who goes first or whatnot. Um, it's kind of your idea on like a buff uh, for activation, for having less activations. Um, I'll, I'll address this in a couple parts, right? Uh, I think the first thing is that I fundamentally disagree that more activations equals always better. Of course, you do get an advantage with having more activations, and so I guess it is better, <laughs> but then um, you're supposed to be trading off unit quality, right? So you have more activations, but they're technically pushing you less towards your end goal, which is winning the game. So I believe that game balance, like unit points exist exactly for that reason. Right, and I guess that that is already what is supposed to fix ac ac activation advantage is is the points cost, right? And and more expensive units um, give you less activations because they are better, right? Expensive in points, I mean. So that's that's my my first. I think like what what comes out of the top of my mind. Um, using your your plot points example, um, uh, can we, can we swear in in your? Yeah, uh, I think we're limited to uh, like one or two swears because I I I always put the uh, channel to or the episodes to like rated G or something. <laughs> oh, then I won't swear. Okay, uh, so I don't want to uh, poop on your idea. <laughs> um, but usually, like, giving, like, for example, um, these, like, plot points or plot tokens or something like that, that is um, sort of an invisible rule. And usually we want to keep those to a minimum. I want, I want players to know, like, the, the core rules very, very well. And then everything else should be on the battlefield, right? You should be able to... To, to see these things, right? And I believe that these would, um, getting these like extra rerolls because you have less points, these uh, less activations, th these things 
become a little bit invisible and, and players do forget, right? Um, I include myself in that, right? Um, some games end up having all these little extra rules to try to fine tune things. And then you just get lost, right? In, in like lots of games, you, when, when, you know, like when an, have like army breaks, when you, when you lose, like, I don't know how much, how many percentage of your army, your units start working worse or retreating or something like that. Usually from my experience, when I play these games, um, we forget, <laughs> you know, and both armies usually break around the same time or just around before the other. So um, how much is that beneficial having that extra bookkeeping, right? That's something that you have to keep in mind when, when designing, um, so I'm not saying the idea is bad. I would say it would work beautifully if it was a computer game, for example. But um, the human brain has just so much RAM that we can use, and I want you to spend your, your RAM doing um, playing the game and not bookkeeping, right? I, I'd say specifically for your suggestion there, right, I, I, I would say that that would be my answer. Um, once again, I believe that if we were if we were to acknowledge that activation advantages would always win you games, which I don't believe at this moment, um, then that would need changes to to the core rules, right? That that would require a whole different discussion, right? And not just slapping on. Um, um, rules, you know, like like that meme of the guy that puts the, the silver tape on the the water tank. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so like a band a band aid. Exactly right, uh, because there's only so many band aids you can put right because before it starts getting funky. So um, once again, I, I don't acknowledge that more activations will guarantee you a win. I, I don't believe that is true at the moment. Um, I do acknowledge that activations do give you an advantage, but once again, you're trading it off for unit quality. That that's supposed to be the point. And if if that is not the case, then we should address it. Now, I do have a follow-up question to that. Is now would uh, since there are similar rules for let's say like. Uh, um, What's the one? Uh, Fire and Blood, where the commander, when it activates, can throw out an, an extra VP. Would uh, would something like that, uh, like those points for having less, be uh, something that would be more acceptable for like a, a mission rule than it would be for a game mechanic rule? Yes, that would be much more acceptable because then then it's actually an exception, right? Because basically. Like, I don't want to get too philosophical, but since this is the theory craft <laughs> part of the the, um, the podcast, right, I guess we can go into that, which which is, like, basically how, what is a war game, right, is you make rules, or they're 30 pages, and then units and game modes are there to break the rules, right? What does a unit do? He breaks rules, right? That's what abilities do. They, they get a core rule, and they shake them up. Right, and, and game modes do the same thing, right? Because the core rules are, are there, but the, once again, the game modes are there to, 
shake things up and, and break the core rules, right? So um, that suggestion would work much better as the game mode. Yes, I, I totally agree. Uh, Brett, how about you? What, uh, what are your thoughts on, on this uh, little theory? I, I think... Um... I think this is a, a hard subject to talk about, and it's, it's kind of almost worthy of its entire show. Um, but with that said, I, I, I understand the spirit of it, and so I'll, I'll weigh in a little bit on it. Um, I think that the activation advantage, I think that a lot of times people hear that, and, and they kind of, like, run with it. Like, okay, well, if I make this list and I get it to 10 activations, then surely there's no possible way that I can lose. And I just, it's not really the case. And I, I think that it's kind of like just a part of the story that doesn't tell the whole story. I think activation advantage is good, um, but I, you, you've got to have the right pieces in the list to be able to leverage it. And then you have to know what your piece is that you need to leverage. And then you, you need to know how to use that. And then you need to know how to keep your quote unquote batteries around because the activation advantage doesn't mean anything if you start the game with nine and I start the game with eight and then we start getting engaged and your activations are crap and they start dying and then now I have activation advantage and superior units. So that's the thing that can happen. It, it just depends on the list, on the match, on the scenario. There's a number of things. Activation advantage on its own isn't just why you're winning. It's what's in there using those activations. So it's kind of like, yeah, what are you leveraging? So when you get something like Free Folk with nine activations that has Mag the Mighty, okay, yeah, that's a problem because Mag has unresponded turns and he can do a end of round, top of round, and because of his attack profile and everything else, he can kill you. <laughs> like Night's Watch can do something similar, end of round, start of round with like Ranger Hunters. But you have to know how to pilot that list and you have to know what the targets are to take out. And it's still not always a win condition. So do I think that just a flat, straight-out rule that says you out-activate this faction or you out-activate by this much, so here's your great big disadvantage? I think to Fabio's point, like, yeah, some of that disadvantage is for certain armies, like, you know, you're buying four-point units and they're solos. So they have, like, two or three wounds. Precision exists in the game. Precision isn't going to help you wipe out a 12-wound unit, but is it uncommon, like super, super uncommon to charge something, fish for sixes and roll three sixes and kill a Dragonstone Noble? No, that's not uncommon. So now they mortgaged their, you know, potentially buying Wardens for a point more. They mortgaged that for a Dragonstone Noble. Maybe they're running two Dragonstone Nobles instead of Champions of the Stag, and one of them just got blown off the board, so... Overall, was it worth it? Maybe not. Um, that, but again, that's a conversation that you'd you would have to get into in its own show. There's so much that I can say about it. So I guess my simple answer is: Do I think that you should just handicap someone because they have more activations? No, I don't think so. I think for the most part, with a few exceptions, running higher activations is lower quality, and there are ways for that to be beaten. There are factions that are very comfortable at six, seven, eight activations, and they win plenty of games, and they just don't really care that you have nine. So that's, that's my take on it. And uh, 
also on that note, I, I just pulled in at home and I'm a little bit late home anyway, so I'm going to get running, but I do want to formally say goodbye. I want to thank you for coming on again, Fabio. Uh, it's always a pleasure and thanks for taking the time to answer some of our uh, community's questions and obviously to come here and chat with us. Thank you, Brad. It, it's always great hearing your voice. Um, too bad we're a continent apart again now, but otherwise we, we could keep this going longer and um, we could even play Song of Ice and Fire for fun for a change. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Would be nice. Um, but we'll we'll chat soon. And uh, thanks, thanks again. And uh, all the listeners, goodbye. I've got to run. i got to balance that um, activation advantage with, with, with the house time. So. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see you guys. Bye-bye. All right. We'll see ya. Um, so winding down to the last uh, bit of the show, uh, we got about 23 minutes. And just a couple more questions as long as we don't uh, – just two more questions as long as we don't see anything in the chat. Um, so the next one I wanted to kind of bring up, this one, so the last question I had about the activation buff, that was just the initial question I've had a lot brought up to me between a lot of different people, but um, never really was something that me, myself, like, uh, cared much about. I kind of was more so on the side of what you were saying, Fabio. This next question is uh, one that has always bugged me a little bit, um, and it's and I say bugged me like it's not like a big a big deal. It's just one of those like huh like I kind of wish it was this way. So I'm, I'll bring up this one next, which is um, whoever picks their side when you roll. So you roll off, and then obviously whoever wins the roll can pick either their side and then deploy first, and then the other person will get to go first or second, and they get to choose um, and. Or you can defer, meaning your opponent gets to pick their side and then deploy first. Um, so I was wondering, you know, what if whoever uh, had to pick their side uh, of the table also got to pick their side for, or sorry, also got to pick to deploy first or second to, in, in my mind, offset the fact that, um, uh, player is now going to get to pick first or second, which is generally viewed as the more popular uh, of the of the options. Hmm. That that can be addressed. Right? I'm not saying we we will. <laughs> right? I don't want to promise anything, but um, oh, you're good. It it's it, that's really like a very fine tuning thing and and kind of trying to see like how valuable is the field versus first player and then how and then how much of a difference would it make if you got like how much of a difference would it make if if you got to choose who deployed their first unit first right is it basically the question is like is it worth is it worth addressing? Is it big enough for us to change? Because every time we change, that means people need to relearn. And that's something that we try to keep like only for necessity, right? I could yeah. in, in the next update, whenever that is, 
right? Change that. But then that's one more thing to talk about on Small Council Radio, right? That's one more thing for everyone to reread, right? And 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 would that hinder the other changes that might be made in 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 the next in right in the next update or something like that? So it's it's more of like I see your point though, and it is a very interesting point, and. And once again, you just we have to weigh in how how useful that is, basically, right? How much is this going to make the game better? And I'm not saying we, I know the answer, right? Once again, you 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 made a really good point. So it, it's something that yeah, needs to be, to be thought about and, and discussed and tested, as well as um, it. There's also a few things like I, I would say that I, I know the rules pretty well. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> and so when I play, a lot of things are pretty automatic in my mind. You know, I already do them like pretty like by default because I know the rules. But once again, like saying I'm going to choose the side, but then you deploy first, would that confuse a new player, for example, right? Because I... Uh, we have to cater to a lot of different audiences, right? And we can't just cater to these um, top-tier tournament players, right, such as yourself, who played at Gen Con. So, um, once again, like, sometimes minor tweaks might, once again, add um, unnecessary complexity, which I'm not saying it's the case here, okay? I'm just saying that that's what I think when I think about changing rules. I mean, that makes sense. Uh, you, you don't want to run into a change too quickly because then, you know, not only does you run into that uh, potential of it not working out and it looking silly, and then having to change it back, which then looks extra silly. You know, you really want to make sure that when you implement a change that, you know, you it's... I'm assuming, like, this is just my mindset, but I'm assuming whenever you make a change or your your team makes a change in the game, your intention is that it won't ever have to be changed again. Obviously, it, that's the intention, but you know that, like, the game is ever developing. But your hopes are that, okay, I'll change it to this, and you know, fingers crossed, everything works out exactly perfect, and it never has to be changed again. You know, we'll take a very, very simple uh, uh, diluted example, uh, movement, um, a maneuver. A maneuver, since the game has come out, has always been pivot, move, pivot. Well, so the intent is that you come out with this rule, and it doesn't ever have to change, and that's the intent. But, you know, you obviously, as a, a developer designer, you still have to watch out for when something needs to change. So, uh, does that make any sense to you? Totally. Um, I agree that uh, if I could just create something and never have to change it again, that would be the best case scenario. Of course, even though it's very unrealistic, and and it's funny because even like maneuver never changed in the sense that it's a pivot, move, pivot. But we did do a lot of things like defining the word move 
in, in the rule book um, to, to clarify things, right? Uh, so that is a, a change to maneuver, right? Or, or saying um, or trying to um, – we, we also define things like about the one inches, right, the, the one inch distance. I think that those were clarified as well. So um, even maneuver was was, nev- was was not unscathed, right? So like even maneuver took a took a blow in rules if if you think of it like like in a macro sense, right? Not the the maneuver action specifically, but everything or like the things around maneuver, right? Things around movement, right? Um, charging and alignment was one that changed a lot, you know, like um, with like even after the, the, the notorious Shelky shuffle, you know, and, 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 and things like that. So um, I'd say, for example, attack dice, like attack dice ranks and defense rolls never changed. Right. That's, that's the, 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 I think the one thing that was unscathed from, from the beginning of time. But even if you think of panic, you know, like it, it used to be a delta from the results to the to to the attribute. Then it became a D3 plus one. Then it became just D3. And so there. So, yeah, I, I wish I didn't. Let's say like I, I wish we didn't have to change things, but it's but things will always change, right? And maybe, once again, like I'm not saying it will, <laughs> but like maybe one day we, we will change attack, you know, and, and how that functions. I, I don't know. It's just just going like completely wild, right? Because something might pop up in the future. You never know. So uh, I think I lost track of your question, but yeah, that's, <laughs> that's my answer. <laughs> No, yeah, you're good. Yeah, it was just about the uh, uh, allowing whoever picks their side to go first or second, or sorry, whoever picks their side to deploy first or second. Um, and the only reason that one kind of is more so my personal question, though I've had other people um, uh, also kind of agree, but um, I know, like you were saying, it really comes down to uh, you really have to, like, play test it you have to think about it you know there's a lot more that goes behind the scenes than just saying oh okay uh, that face value that sounds good so let's just immediately implement it um there you know you don't want to jump into something like that uh but the reason it kind of came up as one of my questions or one of my things that i wanted to bring up is just you know whenever generally whenever i'm playing it's okay i want to win this role because there's so many more benefits to um, just letting my opponent pick their side, <laughs> forcing them to have to deploy first so that that's also an advantage to me. I then get to pick first or second, which is an advantage to me. And I think it's already an advantage to then get to pick which of those two you get to do for, uh, as your buff. But also, um, what was I going to say? There's another aspect to it is that um, oh, with the missions, uh, the slight changes, the slight changes to the missions have made a lot of things a lot more uh, symmetrical. So picking your side sometimes can 
um, uh, have a buff to it, depending on what mission uh, objectives are on a certain side or the way the terrain falls. But I know um, me personally, uh, let alone a bunch of other people that have done it to me, is with terrain, um, usually I try to make it symmetrical uh, symmetrical, so that way, no matter what side I get on, the terrain is virtually identical. Um, that way I'm not beholden to being stuck on a bad side if I w lose the role, whereas at least allowing me to, um, or whatever player, to then choose the buff of going or deploying first or second, I think it has a little bit of a weight to it. But um, before we run out of time here, we got about 10 minutes left. Uh, do have one more question and or not question but theory and that's uh you know one that's been on a lot of players uh minds well really just the neutral players and that's uh neutrals getting an army-wide buff to offset kind of having less options uh than other factions i know they kind of have their own tactics deck and they're kind of in that way they have their own identity but i, I know a lot of people feel like uh even with the tactics deck that they're kind of um, you know, they just have a lot less to work with, um, and there's a lot of diehard uh, neutral players out there. I know Ben from Small Council, um, he's a diehard neutral player. That's all he plays, and he kind of gets in this rut where he feels, you know, like there's not a whole lot to discover uh, with the neutral faction. So what's kind of your thoughts on that? Hmm. I, I kind of get worried once again with invisible rules, right? That's I call them that. I know it's not necessarily true. If it's in the rule book, it's not invisible. But um, I also think that that's complicated because I don't see them as at a disadvantage in 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 power level, right? Um, and I do understand that maybe they have less options commander-wise. I didn't do the math to see, like, how many commanders neutral have in comparison to the other factions, but I, I do believe they have less. Um, I would say that that will be fixed mostly with time, you know, as more things come out, right? It's just that the, the, the neutral faction is one that trickles a little bit slower than the other ones i'm not even sure about that you know because i don't remember the release schedule for the last five years if if it is slower but oof, that's a tricky i don't even i don't really have an answer uh, i would say that for the moment that is not something that is on my radar that thing like oh if you go pure neutral you're gonna get an advantage i think the advantage is that the <laughs> neutral deck kind of um, pushes your commander identity uh, more, right? And so that would be one of the advantages of, of the neutral deck, right? Um, yeah. Balancing neutral units is usually really tough because they can fall into every single army, but that doesn't mean that we make them um, underpowered. You know, I think that usually if you look at the, the units, they, they fit their points costs, or at least I hope so. So... Um, I, don't, I don't really have an answer for that at the moment. Yeah, and, you know, that's understandable. It's definitely, it's been, 
you know, well, that and you, the other buffs that neutrals will have is that you obviously then can take more than 20 points in neutrals. You know, neutrals is the only time you could ever run three flayed men if your heart desired, or uh, four bastard scrolls like Justin has done multiple times. Um, so it's, uh, you know, there are definitely some buffs in there for running all neutrals. I think, uh, I think the lack of selection isn't necessarily like a lack of selection within just the neutrals. I think it's when you, let's say, neutrals have, I'm just going to make up a number, have 10 unit options, and Lannisters have 12. That's close. But then Lannisters also have the 10 neutral options that they can then also take from, making it 22 options. I think is the more the more more so the what people were referring to rather than like on an individual faction level but um but that makes sense but, i mean but that's not an issue with free folk right you don't see the same um comparison to free folk that they have less options right yeah and that makes sense uh you know free folk uh you know even let's say before this newest hero box uh we'll say um, from Hero Box 2 and prior, has only had a couple more commanders than neutrals and had, I think, less MCUs than neutrals. So that's definitely a good point, is that Free Folk, uh, you know, have been able to, I guess, break out of that that mentality that neutrals are kind of stuck in. And I think that also, that partially has to do with just the what, what neutrals are. I think people have this mindset that just because they can go in other armies that, you know, that they necessarily have to have a buff or or whatnot. So I could definitely see that. Um, and, you know, you, you also make a good point that there are a lot of neutral units that are really good. Um, and you see them in a lot of factions. And just the ability to run more than 20 points of them, uh, as I already mentioned, is a strength in itself. Um, you know, how many times you see Bastard Scrolls or uh, Cutthroat, uh, mostly the Bolton units, units, but even just other units in other factions. Um, so it's definitely, I don't know, I think, uh, like you were saying, I think time will definitely tell. Uh, or not tell, but time will, you know, show more units come out, and I think you'll have less of a of that mindset yeah for sure so i i, right. I really so do think at, it it has something to do with perception right because you can't take neutrals in other factions and then and then that comparison exists whereas free folk what since like from the get-go you know that they're their own thing they don't mingle and then that question never even comes to mind Yeah, I mean, because, you know, there's not like an army-wide buff for free folk. Um, there's just free folk, and they have their rules and their commanders. Um, and that's pretty much the same thing with neutrals. Uh, so I could definitely see that. So with that said, that kind of wraps us up with all of our questions. I don't see anything on the Discord, um, you know, any more questions on there. So... Uh, so yeah, I think I think we can kind of wrap it up there. Uh, I want to, you know, again, 
thank you so much for coming on to, you know, kind of talk with us about a lot of this stuff. Uh, I know we hit a lot of different topics and a lot of different areas. Yeah, thank you very much, Dave. Once again, I, I really enjoy being here. Um, and when I met you in person, you know, like um, you 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 were even more outstanding than I thought you were. So um, <laughs> it, it was really cool. And it was really fun, you know, like, like you said, walking around through the booths of Gen Con and demoing games together. That was pretty cool. And, and thank you once again for having me here. Um, we hit a lot of topics, but at the same time, I think we went pretty deep in, in most of them. So that it was really cool. This was an amazing interview. Thank you. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, like you said, uh, you know, like a, a third, uh, Martel's uh, third like thoughts uh, would definitely be great to to have once you know the the faction has like officially been out and everyone kind of gets it in their hands and they're able to play some like physical games not not to mention TTS games and really have a better grasp of the faction. Who knows what the future has if maybe another uh, Martel unit comes out by that time or is or is on the horizon. Um, definitely be great to have you on again yeah especially i guess like i don't know release dates but eventually when hero box 2 comes out as well you know and then we have a, a even stronger grasp on on the martels as a whole right so you heard it here first everybody martels will have a hero box 2 <laughs> oh my who would have guessed <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you, everyone who is listening and everyone who is in the chat. Yep. Uh, I want to do a shout-out to all the listeners. You know, I, I, We do this for you guys. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. I thank each and every one of you that uh, tunes in to listen to our show. Uh, definitely share it out whenever possible. That's definitely the number one thing you can do to show your support. With that said, with that said, this is the Small Council Radio, and it is dismissed. still here. Why? Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.